Wow. <laughs> this one was really good. I got to tell you, uh, I've known Sarah Romer for, for quite some time. And I mean, he starts off as a medical device rep 35 years ago uh, and then becomes a group company chairman for Johnson & Johnson. I mean, it's an r- amazing, remarkable story. He's had success at every step of the way in his career. What I, what I really admire about him most is, he, most is he's just such a personable guy. I mean, you'll listen to him. He came to my operating room. We had so much fun. I mean, here he was, this incredible group company chairman coming all the way down to watch us operate. And he cared and uh, he solves problems. He speaks five languages and he's just so humble. So all you medical device people out there, get your paper and pencil out. This guy is going to give you the roadmap to success. I really, really love this episode. I hope you like it as much as we did. We continue to thank our sponsor, OrthoLaser Orthopedic Laser Centers. They continue to offer MLS M8 technology for chronic and acute orthopedic pain as an alternative source to opioids and possibly even avoiding surgery. The franchises continue to spread across the country. It's an amazing opportunity for orthopedic surgeons and doctors and even medical device reps to become part of the growing technology. OrthoLaser Milwaukee and OrthoLaser Rochester just opened. We have another five in the queue. Come and join the OrthoLaser franchise family. Hashtag follow the fro. From medical media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast, where as we all know by now, we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. Again, today is no exception. We're going to pivot a little bit. We've been spending a lot of time talking with orthopedic surgeons and techniques and innovation, but we have a really amazing guest, uh, someone who is really an iconic leader in the orthopedic medical device world. He is the newly retired, which is quite amazing. He's in his first week of retirement. We have Cyril Romer, who is the former company group chairman of Johnson & Johnson Medical Devices for all of North America, where up until five days ago, he was managing $11 billion medical device portfolio across the Pusynthes Ethicon and international and interventional businesses. Ciro, you are a close friend of mine. It is a great pleasure to have you on. We can't thank you enough. Well, thanks very much for inviting me. I look forward to our discussion. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. I mean, you know, it's funny. We, we, we call ourselves the Ortho Show and we have guests across the entire space. It's orthopedic surgeons, it's medical device reps, it's industry. So I think a lot of people are going to be fascinated by your very remarkable 35-year history and story within the medical device world and how it all started. Well, you know, you know, first, I just like to get history. I think it's great for people to know where you come from and, and where things are. And, you know, you grew up in, in Curacao or Curacao. I, I'm not sure how you, you're going to pronounce it for us better, but you spent your entire 18 years of your life living on an island. Uh, you know, it's got to be cool. Tell us about that part of the story. Yeah, well, I had nothing to do with my birth, right? That's that's a decision my parents did, but it's true. I was born and raised in Curacao, which is a little island in the Caribbean. Um, you know, it's called the ABC Islands, Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. It's it's part of the Netherlands. Um, so everybody who was born there gets a Dutch passport. 
And, um, you know, the, the mostly of your life is um, going to school very early, starting at 6.30, uh, finished at 1 o'clock. Uh, then you do your homework and you spend a lot of your time, of course, uh, outside and uh, with the beach. And um, we never talk about the weather because it's very boring, always around 75 degrees. But yeah, you know, um, lived there and, and spent uh, the first 18 years of my life there. Um, did my primary and secondary uh, high school there. And then you have a choice if you want to go to the university. Um, you either go to the Netherlands, which is for free, or you go to the United States to study, which costs a lot of money. So you can guess that my dad sent me to the Netherlands. And, you know, as uh, an 18-year-old boy, I call it, you know, I landed in Amsterdam, which was uh, quite an awakening for somebody who was grown on a, on a small island. So party for the first year and uh, decided, hey, I need to do something with my life and uh, started to study healthcare management. And after my study landed in um, the OVG, which is um, a clinic in the middle of Amsterdam and became responsible for the orthopedic department there. And, and that's actually how my uh, career started. Well, I'm glad to see that you got out of the Milky Vague and the Bulldog in Amsterdam <laughs> at the age of 18. That could have been very distracting. So it only took you a year to make up your mind. That's good. I'm glad you were you had the focus to move on. That's terrific. So, so all right. So, so obviously now you're you're in the Netherlands and you're going to go to college and you speak Dutch, I'm sure, because that's the two languages that you learned as you're growing up and you probably have mastered other languages at this point. We could talk about that. But so you go you go through college and it's four years and then you're deciding, OK, you kind of like this orthopedic thing. And and where were you drawn to from there? Well, it's actually interesting you talk about my languages because it had a big part, um, uh, an influence on my career. Being born on the island, as soon as you're in fifth grade. Um, your, your mandatory um, are, are teached um, both English and Spanish. The Spanish because of uh, the facility with uh, Venezuela and Colombia, but also the U.S. has a, has a bit, big impact on this island. So locally we speak papiamento, which is a local slang. And then, of course, in school you get Dutch. And then everybody speaks Spanish and, um, and English. And... Um, you know, landed in Amsterdam in the operating room, but quickly came to the conclusion that I wanted to go into business and, and got the opportunity, um, you know, moving to a, a remote location in the Netherlands to become a sales consultant. So I actually started my professional career um, in orthopedics as a sales consultant on the on the east side of the Netherlands, a territory that... Uh, was virgin as we called it and i remember my boss saying zero you don't know anything about selling but you know why don't you go to nijmegen which is a, a medium-sized town um, on the east side of of the netherlands and and learn because we have nothing to lose there uh, luckily for me knowing the orthopedics business a little bit and knowing the anatomy quickly uh, became friends with a lot of orthopedic surgeons because I not only knew the product but also the anatomy and, and they saw me as an asset in uh, in the operating room and became pretty successful there and the rest is history as they say. That's fantastic. So I mean we have so many medical device reps that listen and hear your story is you're, you're, you're 1984, 85, 86, whatever it is but we hear the same stories now on the ortho show as we talk to doctors and surgeons about their respect for the medical device rep and their understanding of the surgical interventions and the equipment and how they're such a vital part of what they are. So, 
So, all right. So this is great. So you're a medical device rep. They throw you out. You have no idea what you're doing other than the fact that you can't screw it up because really nobody's done any business out there before. And then it's four years in and you've got like the number one, you know, territory in the area. And where do you go from there? Well, you know, one of the decisions you have to make early in your career is, is this an area that you want to stay in or do you want to expand your wings, right, in medical devices? And at a very early age, I decided that orthopedics was going to be the business I wanted to, um, you know, stay pretty long in. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions why I made that decision, uh, being in healthcare and, and, and wanting to stay in orthopedics. And for me, um, I'm not a researcher. Um, so I, you know, I cannot make a, a, an important pill, um, you know, a, a molecule in, 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 in a compound. But I saw the value um, of the sales rep and the orthopedic surgeon. And the way I explain it very often is if I have a headache, it doesn't matter who gives me a Tylenol, um, you know, the outcome is going to be the same, right? Right. The pill is going to determine the outcome. In orthopedics and in medical devices, um, the device only, I would argue, right, presents you with 60% of the outcome. 40% or even more, I would argue, in certain orthopedic procedures, the surgeon determines the outcome. And um, I felt that with my study and with my knowledge, I could contribute to the outcome of many orthopedic procedures. And that's what I saw as a value. I said, if I have a great product and if I can bring the expertise that the surgeon needs and wants in the operating room, it's a winning combination. And from that day, I decided that the biggest honor I would have is if an orthopedic surgeon would not start an orthopedic procedure. And I was very much involved in trauma in those days. If, if he wouldn't start a case without showing the x-ray with me, I knew I was in a good position because it was no longer only about the product, but it was more about the product and the knowledge that I could bring. And I saw very early in my career that if, you know, if, if, if I could be at the same level in the orthopedic, uh, in the orthopedic uh, operating room as the surgeon and become his friend, it, it was a value, very valuable um, relationship I would have that, that would benefit both of us. And um, um, I really like that. And that's, that's why I very early in my career decided I wanted to stay in orthopedics. And it's interesting because, you know, in the 80s and so, I mean, we all think of medical device now, right? We got all this stuff, right? The spine surgeons have got cages and screws and all this other stuff. And there's seven different manufacturers for joint replacements. And sports medicine now has all these crazy gizmos and scopes and all that stuff. But back in the day, there just wasn't that many devices. I mean, it was a, it was the pioneering earlier days of, of how things were going. So so what was that percentage again for the surgeons? I just want to make sure how much I, I have use in the operating room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say the outcome, I would say the outcome in a technical um, field like sports medicine, but also in spine, and, and I would even say in joints, is, is probably 50 or 60% the surgeon determines the outcome. And, um, you know, I, I have always said with a smile on my face, that, you know, I'd rather have a mediocre product and a great surgeon than, you know, a great product and a bad surgeon. So uh, it, it, it shows you how important um, the operator is on, on the outcome of, 
awful procedure. No, I, you know, that's great. And I, I completely agree. It's all about the team process, everyone working together for most importantly, the great outcomes for, for our patients. So I would, I would also say if you, if you see how much progress we have made as an industry, as, and, and as medical device, everybody who is in the medical devices, it's, 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 it's really admiring. I reflected a lot on, on my career and the first, hip procedure I saw in 1982. We started at eight o'clock and we were finished. We were, we were happy we to go to lunch at 12.30. And uh, it was a humongous incision, the size of the Grand Canyon. You know, it, the patient needed two or three blood transfusions, would stay in, in the hospital for at least 10 days. And, and now today they, you know, they go to a ambulatory service um, center and and they go home the same day and they have a very small incision. So it's also very rewarding to see the progress we have made in, um, in, in medical devices and specifically in orthopedics. Yeah, and it's really interesting, you know, Ciro, because what I found, especially in the Johnson & Johnson family, there's a lot of migration, you know, sort of people move from one to, to another. And it's fascinating that you really have, you know, hung your, your, your career specifically on at the medical device in the orthopedic space. And I think that's why you have risen uh, to, to the levels that you have. So when did, so when did Synthes come into play? Because obviously that was a, that was a major, you know, major part of your career. Yeah, that's an interesting story. I, I actually started at Homedica and um, it was, it was a company that uh, was specialized in, um, in hip and knees but also wanted to have an entrance into the trauma business. Um, and it started with the Gross and Kent nail, which uh, was a group of uh, surgeons in France. Um, and they needed to expand the, um, the sales force. So I got a call uh, from the general manager of America in the Netherlands in those days and said, hey, would you like to come and work for us? And uh, I said, sure. So we, uh, we had a good conversation. He sent me to... Um, as I said, to the Nijmegen area to uh, to start uh, a territory. It was it was an expansion in those days, where uh, many of the companies decided they they wanted to go direct and no longer be dependent on a distributor. Um, so uh, th that's how I started. But um, eight years later, I got a call from a recruiter who said, "Listen, um, there is this company called Synthes um, who is very close with EAO and uh, they're looking for a general manager in the Netherlands for the orthopedic side, not the trauma side. And I said, oh, my God, you know, AO, that's um, that's that's the MBA of um, of trauma care. And I said, I would love to go and have a conversation with with the company. And uh, I flew to uh, Switzerland and uh, we had a very good connection. And um, so they hired me as the general manager of, of Stratec Medical that later became Synthes. And uh, that's how I started uh, my career in, um, you know, with, uh, with Synthes. Um, and uh, started as a general manager in the Netherlands. And here is where languages play an important role. Then um, I was called uh, to Switzerland. They said, hey, um, I think you speak Spanish, don't you? I said, yeah, I, 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 uh, I can... Um, I know enough to get into trouble, but not enough to get out of it. So they <laughs> said, well, that's, that's, good. <laughs> that's good enough for us. So uh, we have a, a company that is, uh, you know, uh, 10 times bigger than the Netherlands, uh, which is not doing well. 
and uh, we want to take a risk on you. So we want to make you the general managers in Spain. So um, I talked to my wife and she said, hey, let's let's go for it. So I, I, I went and um, I, re I still remember flew on a Friday to Spain, to Madrid and became the general manager the next Monday and uh, ran that business for two and a half years. Turned the business around and got called back by the board that said, hey, um, why don't you um, try to do the same trick across Europe? And uh, became responsible for the European organization and, and ran that for a while and um, ascended my career in, um, in, in Synthes um, until um, 2012. Uh, where we were uh, acquired by uh, by Johnson and Johnson. So I'm assuming you've learned German somewhere along the way at this point. Yes, I learned German and Swiss German, which is uh, a slang of, uh, of of German. So um, yeah, they they are very close to Dutch, so it wasn't that difficult. But um, it it, uh, it was quite an experience, I can tell you. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you really you what be, what happens is you become the you, you start off in Spain. You, you kick ass there again. You're, you're setting. It seems to be like there's a re recurrent story here, Ciro. You seem to uh, be able to right the ship as you go, and uh, and you keep climbing that corporate ladder. You start off as a medical device rep for Helmedica, and then you just sort of work your way up and become president of the you know European uh, area for for Synthes. And then uh, and then 2010 comes along, and uh, Johnson and Johnson and Bill Weldon and are like, this seems like a pretty good match, right? We're one of the world's largest companies. Wouldn't it be cool to make the world's largest orthopedic company? And you're you're high up on the food chain now at Synthes. I mean, uh, and it's interesting. I was reading, and you can talk as little or as much about this as you want, but there was a story by Robin Young in Orthopedics Today that came out about everything's all set, you know? So I guess J&J &J makes a little bit of a low ball number and everybody comes back to the table and then everybody's fine. Okay. It's a good deal. We're going to do this thing, but I guess they weren't happy with the compensation formula for, uh, for you guys towards the end of the deal. And I guess Mike Mahoney got involved. who was the worldwide uh, chairman of, of devices for Johnson and Johnson and you guys had a midnight hour conversation. You got the deal done. So I don't know how much you can talk about, but I think it sounds kind of cool. Yeah, it was you know that that happens uh, in the last minutes of uh, major acquisitions. Uh, at that time, we were going to be the uh, largest acquisition in the history of Johnson and Johnson. And uh, what actually happened was that uh, we were a public company uh, quoted on the Swiss stock market. Uh, but we, as um, senior executives, were never paid um, in, in stocks of options. Um, so when uh, the owner, Hans Ruiz, decided to, uh, you know, to sell the company um, in order to make sure that, you know, we would get a piece of, uh, of uh, the sale and, uh, you know, get, get rewarded for, for the hard work we, we have done, um, the board crafted, uh, you know, some contracts for us that would assure us that you know J and J after the acquisition could just not fire us you know after having been there for a decade and create all that value, um, the board came to the realization: hey, if we sign the contract the way it is, you know they could come in, uh, acquire everything, and and uh, you know get rid of, of a significant part of the management, and we don't want that. So they 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 gave us a contract, and of course J and J looked at the contract and said, well, this is really good for 
the executives and not good for us. So there was a conversation in the last minute to make sure that, uh, you know, both ourselves, but also J&J was, was in a good position for, for this merger to work. And, um, and, and the reason it, 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 it actually happened without any hiccup was that, you know, there, there was a mutual respect and a mutual wish for us to, um, you know, to come together. So all in all, it, uh, it, I think it was more a, a technical lawyer issue than, uh, than a real management issue. And you can see that I stayed at J&J until the end of my career. J&J is a fantastic company. That I, I would argue if you want to be in healthcare, uh, it's the right place to be. You could be in pharmaceuticals, you could be in consumer, you could be in medical devices. Um, a very ethical company would always put patients number one, the employees number two, the communities number three, and, and the shareholder, of course, is number four. But uh, I, I have never seen a company so committed. To, uh, to patients and, and to doctors, Johnson & Johnson. So extremely fortunate to, uh, to have worked there for, uh, for, for all that time. Yeah, no, and it, it, it's an interesting story and I wanted to bring it up and thank you for sharing. You know, I, I'm a big believer as well in the credo and I've been a, sort of uh, working with Johnson & Johnson in a consulting role for, for decades as well. So you're definitely talking to a believer, but I'll, I'll, I won't forget it. I was at the Academy in 2012 the the uh the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons our national meeting and Hans was walking around you know the the J and J booth and he had a big smile on his face I could tell you. <laughs> he seemed like a pretty happy guy for his forty percent shares of eight billion dollars it seemed like he did pretty well for himself but good for him kudos no and, and you know it is it's a it's it's been a great marriage you know bringing those companies together and. Uh, you know now, and and really, with that with that combination with Johnson and Johnson, Synthes coming together, created the world's largest orthopedic medical device company, and now the name is you know Depew Synthes, which was fascinating. I was part of that, watching the logo come together as how they were going to you know come together. We made a little fun of the logo, but we'll let that go. But it was a, it was a, it was a funny story, but um, I remember that we. You know, we, we, we came from the synthesis side and every dollar was, was turned, you know, three times around before we would spend it. And uh, I, I can still remember somebody saying, we're going to hire a consultant to, you know, to really think about the name. And I said, why are we going to spend a million dollars on, you know, <laughs> having somebody look at the name? I said, there is only two combinations, right? It's either synthesis to Pew or it's going to be the Pew synthesis. And I'm sure because you guys are going to acquire us, it's going to be the Pew synthesis. <laughs> I, I think they spent another $3 million on the logo, which didn't come yeah. out so well, if you ask me. But So uh, so, after, so after three months, right, this, this woman comes in and she, she explains all the research they've been doing, all the names that they have thought of. And, and then the last slide, you know, they come to the conclusion the Pew synthesis was going to be the right name. I thought it was hilarious. We were all laughing. Meg Scanlon, I know, I know you know Meg well, who's now the yeah. president of the urology division over at Boston Scientific. They've they've taken a lot of our good people over to Boston Scientific with Mike Mahoney. But <laughs> but I remember vividly being all, all of us sitting around trying to figure out what they were going to do. And that that's classic. The Pew synthesis or synthesis to Pew. Oh, that's great. But you know, what are your other great passions? And and I know that it comes really from your from your synthesis days as well. You were on the board of AO. When I think of AO, I think of education. And I think it's one of, it is the most impressive 
you know, foundation of educational support within the orthopedic industry. And I know you were on the board for, for over 10 years. And then in 2015, uh, you were, you really sort of brought the group back together again. And, and Depew Synthes really sort of came together and, and, and sort of helped the AO uh, sponsorship again. So tell us about your experience in AO and, and what your great pride is in that. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I I don't think there is anything like the collaboration that DAO and, and Synthes has had. Uh, and I had the pleasure to be on the board for 10 years and, and as a consequence, I have a lot of friends. And, and the magic in this relationship is that all the surgeons that work for DAO do that in their free time. And many people have said, you know, in today's world where everybody wants to do everything for money, how is it possible that a professor who is extremely busy um, is willing to fly all over the world to teach for free? And, and it has to do with the fact that it's, it's, you're giving something, but you receive so much from it, right? It's, it's, it's a great opportunity for them to spend time with people who think alike, um, build friendships overseas. I think there are a lot of great associations that are locally or regional, but there are very few that have this, this global reach as, as DAO has. And it's a very noble thing. Um, and um, if, if, if you realize the benefits that patients have had over the world with, with all the teaching these guys have done, it's, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I mean, AO, you know, I think of, of teaching and, you know, it's just remarkable to think that not too long ago, we were treating fractures with traction and bed rest. Uh, and we just take it for granted now, all of the amazing techniques that we have. And as a resident, as a fellow, you know, I, I always remember going to my AO courses. It was mandatory. I mean, that's how we learned to fix to fix bones and, and the strategy behind it and the fracture, you know, preoperative planning and all of those things that went into it. And that's been passed down for generations now. Uh, and it's just amazing to know that they do donate their time. It really is a noble cause. So uh, so kudos to you for really bringing that and continuing it here in the United States as well. And it's actually become part of uh, the J&J world as well. And, and they feed off of the AO experience as well. So so great stuff. So I want to I want to fast track to 2018. You know, you and I have known each other for a while. And what I really was impressed by you mostly is that you you always wanted you you know obviously you were taking care of all these great things at the higher up levels but you also wanted to know what was going on right and you grew up in the operating room that's where you started in this thing 35 years ago and uh, i remember calling you one day we were talking about some other stuff and i said zero you know why don't you come and spend a day with me in the or let me show you all of your sports medicine stuff and i could do it in a day and you were like awesome i'd love to do that and you said, you know, I'm going to contact my, you know, my administrative assistant and she'll arrange the whole thing. I said, great. So I said, you know, here's my rep's email. No problem. We make the connection. And then, you know, I, I reached out to you again. I'm like, I'm like, Sarah, what's going on? We were having a hard time finding a date. And you said to me, I don't know what you're talking about. We've been sending emails to your rep and I'm not sure why they haven't answered. And I'm like, all right, hold on a second here. So I, so I find my rep. I'm operating that day. I'll never forget it. I go into the lounge, I go over to my rep and I'm like, I'm like, dude, you know, what's going on? You know, Ciro has, has been trying to email you directly to set up a time here. And and she looks over at me. She's like, Zero, Zero? Who who the hell is this Zero guy? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 
Well, he's the boss to the boss to the boss to the boss to the boss of your like 15 people that run up the channel. I would, if I were you, I would answer this email now so that we can figure out when Ciro is going to be able to come here. So that was my, that was my funny story. And then of course, three weeks later you show up and it was great. And I, I'm going to, again, I'm going to throw some love your way. I mean, we're in the operating room and you go right back to your old days. I mean, you come over to me and I'm putting my gown on and your instincts roll in and you tie me up in the back. And then somebody throws a sponge on the floor and you're the group company chairman. You go over and pick the sponge up off the floor. You know, it was just like, you were just such a normal dude, just hanging out in your old days of medical device OR stuff. I'm not sure if you remember all the details, but I certainly do. And it was really a pleasure having you there. Yeah, it's, I, I tell you, um, you know, being an executive is not always easy, but um, I always get a ton of energy by just going out and spending time with, um, you know, with surgeons in the operating room. I've done it quite a lot, and I had um, a certain group of surgeons that, you know, every one or two years I would go there and just spend the day with them in the operating room just to, you know, one, first of all, have a contact with, with, with the surgeon, which I always appreciate but more importantly, also spend time uh, with, with the selling organization. And having been a sales rep myself, I know what it takes to be a successful sales consultant and um, happy to deal with all the frustrations of a, of a large entity, if it's back orders or, you know, if it's a product that you want developed that it's not being developed or if, if a product is being delayed or, or whatever, and just sit there in the coffee room and, you know, have a chat and a laugh, which is always very important, but then also follow up on the things that is on their mind is, is certainly something that I've always done and, and know um, how much it's been appreciated, one, by the customers, but also by uh, by the sales consultant and, uh, and of course, their, their managers. You've had incredible success throughout your entire career, nowhere, no matter where you've gone. Uh, you have found a way to motivate your the people around you and and generate success and so it's it's just a, a, a sentiment of exactly who you are and and that experience in the operating room for me in particular really sort of was the exclamation point of you know someone who has has started at at the level and risen to where you are and I'm hoping that all the medical device reps that are listening here you've been really giving away pearls here left and right zero and on what you can do to to really accomplish and and then uh, become as great as you can be and so you know here you are you're like what are you five days into retirement now I'm five days in uh, retirement yes it's um it's um, it's been a busy week, you, you know, when when they cut you off email and, and all that stuff. There's a lot of things that you need to fix. <laughs> well, uh, what, what are you, you doing? I was like, you go from probably getting 2,000 emails a day, right? <laughs> to like, all right, what's going on? But uh, what are your plans? You've got, I'm sure you've got some big plans or some ideas. Or are you going? I know you're a golfer. You're going to relax a little bit and take it easy, or you're already looking for some new projects. Well, you know. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of people, and uh, the decision I've made is in the next eight to twelve months, I'm I'm, I'm not going to do a lot work-wise. Um, I'm I'm going to recharge the batteries, make sure that I do all the things that I, I love to do. I, I fish a lot, um, so I, I I can remember a lot of days where there was no wind, and I was in a meeting, and I said, "Hey, I, I wish I was out there." But but deep sea fishing. And I go like a hundred miles out and, and, and chase the big tunas is, is certainly something that I will, I will do this year. And 
Um, I've always been a very sporty guy, so go to the gym and, and, and play some golf. And, and, and I will do that for the next eight to 10 months. And, and if I've learned one thing in my life is not to make you know, plans too much in advance. So I'll, I'll see what I do. Uh, what I will not do is I, I won't be you know, um, running another company. Uh, small or big, uh, you know, if I wanted to continue to work, there is no better place to do that than a Johnson & Johnson. So um, I might join a board or so, and, and then I'm going to do some voluntary work. Um, you know, certainly on, on the island I was born and raised, there is a lot of stuff that needs to happen there. So I'm certainly going to spend some time there. And and um, last but not least, uh, spend some more time with my, my wife and family. Uh, I have two sons, uh, 30 and 28. They're both in the Netherlands. So I, I want to see them a little bit more. And I promised my wife, you know, I dragged her from Amsterdam to Nijmegen, from Nijmegen to Madrid, and then from Madrid to Switzerland, and then to the US. I told her the next five years, you can decide what we're going to do. And um, it, it will be traveling a lot uh, in, in, the, in the winter months. Um, and in the summer months, I, I just want to enjoy life and, and go fishing. Well, it could not be more deserved. There are very few people on the planet that have, have done as much for the orthopedic industry, medical device industry as a whole as you have. So we at the Ortho Show and all of our listeners want to thank you for your time today and really for your special story. Well, thank you so much, first of all, for inviting me in your operating room. I, I, I remember that vividly. We had a blast. Um, I was impressed how, how talented you were and um, how much you engaged with the patients, which was great to see. Thank you for everything you do with, uh, with the opioid sparing uh, procedures. That certainly makes a, a big difference. And thank you for uh, being a, such a good friend. Well, it's my pleasure. I look for uh, maybe a round of golf coming up for sure. We'll have to figure that out. But as we all say here on the Ortho Show, we truly bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. And Cyril Romer is a very special guest and we can't thank him enough. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the ortho show. Till next time.